You know, it's hard to believe that just four weeks ago, we were in this building celebrating with great joy the baptisms of some of our precious church members. And then the coronavirus hit. And obviously, the government said you can no longer meet in groups of 500. Then they brought it down to 100. Now it's down to 10. And soon we will be facing a complete lockdown. You know, I wonder how you're feeling about this whole social distancing thing that we're dealing with right now. You know, for me, it feels quite oppressive having to keep two meters away from people, having to wash your hands all the time, not being able to touch your friends and, and give them a big hug. But not only will we experience the oppression of social distancing, we'll also experience what I call fellowship distance. You know, as a church, we can no longer meet in this hall and we can no longer gather together at this moment and worship together. Now, I know our tech team have done a fantastic job to get a service together for us this morning. And, you know, I know our community groups are doing an excellent job and, you know, connecting people through Zoom. But, you know, I for one believe that we were never created to have fellowship this way. We are human beings. We're not just human minds. We were created to hug one another. We were created to sing together. You were created to, to hear my spit come on you as I, as I preach on a Sunday morning. Not that that would be safe for you right at this moment. <laughs> but you get my idea. We were created to have fellowship together physically. And we are going to feel those effects, I think, in the upcoming months. So I've been asking myself, God, what are you doing in this moment? What do you want to teach our church? You know, last Tuesday morning, the pastors and I, we gathered together to pray. And as we sought the Lord, these words formed in my mind. Maybe what God is doing is that he is renewing the church to impact the world. You know, often in the Bible, when God has used people, he's taken them through a season in the wilderness where they have been refined, where they've gone through trials and difficulties in order to learn dependence on God. You know, even Jesus in the Gospels, he went into the wilderness and experienced before and experienced the temptations of the enemy before he launched out in his public ministry. And once he came out of the wilderness, it says in the Gospels that he came out in the fullness and power of the Spirit. Maybe that's what God is doing with us at the moment is he's taking us through this season of difficulty to refine us in order that we might be more useful to him in the future. And so what we are going to be doing on Sunday morning is we are going to be doing a series called Spiritual Renewal. Now, as I was praying about which part of the Bible we should turn to to, to, to base this series upon, it was as if God said, why don't we just go through what we've been doing already through John's Gospel? I believe that God has already sovereignly prepared us for this moment in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue our series through the Gospel of John this morning. So open them up to John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to the end of the chapter this morning. Now, John 14 is an excellent chapter for us to be looking at this morning. You see, in this chapter, Jesus comforts his disciples he begins in verse 1 by saying to his disciples, Let not our hearts be troubled. 
And in verse 27, he repeats these exact words, let not your hearts be troubled. It's as if these words bookend the entire chapter. And in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus comforts his disciples by telling them that they have a secure future, that they have a home prepared to, for them in the Father's house in the future. But then later in the chapter, Jesus comforts his disciples by telling them about the gift of the Spirit that he is going to give them in the present. And I think this morning that is where God wants to renew us. He wants to renew our experience of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you know, some churches are fixated on the Holy Spirit. Some churches are always speaking about the Spirit, the Spirit this, the Spirit that, and they're a little bit wacky in my opinion. You know, other churches, they have the right doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the biblical teaching of the Holy Spirit, and yet they have little live experience of the Spirit in their lives. And I think that I fall into that category. So I'm praying that through this season, we will really grow, not just in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, but also in our experience of the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives. So let me just pray for us this morning that God would really speak to us. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open Your Word this morning, that You would speak to us, Lord, that You would renew not just our understanding of the Holy Spirit, and his work, but also we would experience in our lives to a greater degree the ministry of the Spirit at this moment. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, Jesus tells us four things about what he sent the Spirit to do. Firstly, Jesus says that he sent the Spirit to empower us on mission. Look down in your Bibles in verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, so if you're a believer in Jesus, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. So Jesus is saying here is if you're a believer in Jesus, then you're going to do the works that he does, but you're also going to do greater works than what he does. Now, some people, as they read this verse, they think that what Jesus is saying here is that Jesus is saying that, uh, you know, believers should be able to perform great miracles, even greater miracles than Jesus. But I don't think that's what Jesus means when he says that we are going to do his works and even greater works. You know, the apostles, uh, as we keep on reading their story in the New Testament, you find that even though they did, yes, perform miracles, um, they didn't perform miracles to the same degree that Jesus performed miracles. It wasn't like Peter, when he came to the Sea of Galilee, didn't need a boat anymore and just continued to walk on water over the Sea of Galilee. And it's not like, you know, Bartholomew, when he got hungry, he asked a small boy for his lunch and was able to multiply the loaves and the fishes. No, no, the disciples were not like that. So when it comes to talking about these greater works that Jesus wants his disciples to do, what does he mean? Well, I think what he means is he means the greater work of spreading the gospel. You see, Jesus in his earthly ministry only spread the gospel throughout Palestine. But the disciples 
And the apostles, they spread the gospel to the ends of the Roman Empire. And it's true that the church of Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years has done the greater work of spreading and proclaiming the gospel to the four corners of the world. And so Jesus here is calling us to his mission, his mission of proclaiming the gospel. But I know that many of you are probably thinking, you know, I could never share my faith with someone. I'm so weak. I feel so ill-equipped. I wouldn't know what to say. Well, the disciples before the crucifixion and before Pentecost, they too were weak. You know, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Spirit and he stood up and boldly proclaimed the gospel. You know, just earlier this week, I read a statistic that said 80% of Christians have never shared their faith with another person. 80% of Christians have never shared their faith with another person. Maybe what God wants to do through this season in our lives is he wants to renew us in the Holy Spirit so that we will depend upon the Holy Spirit and through us the Holy Spirit will move so that we will have the power and the courage to share the gospel with others. You know, last Sunday night, I was with my wife, Tegan, and we were watching the Prime Minister, and it was quite a surreal experience. I turned to Tegan and I said, man, this must have been what it was like for our grandparents during the war. As, you know, you, we would, you know they would sit there and during the Second World War around the wireless and listen to the Prime Minister give updates on the war. This must have been what it was like. And then I'll never forget what a newscaster said next. He said, 2020 is going to be the year without clubs, without pubs, without cafes, and without footy. You know, it's like God is sovereignly stripping everything away from people. And I believe in this season, people will be more open to the gospel than ever before. You know, Tegan and I, we were talking a couple weeks ago, and she was saying, and she said something really insightful. She said, I think the reason for all the fear and all the panic buying is because people have realized two things now with the coronavirus. Number one, they are not in control. Number two, death is real. You know, and isn't it amazing that as Christians, we have the gospel. And the gospel says that we might not be in control, but Jesus is the king. He is in control. And the gospel says that Jesus died and he rose again, defeating death. So I think the first way that God wants to renew us in the Holy Spirit is he wants to renew us as a church so that we will depend upon the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and become bold proclaimers of the gospel. Maybe you've never shared the gospel before, but maybe through this season, you might have the opportunity to share the gospel like never before. You know, I've already heard many testimonies of people who are testifying to the fact that they've had opportunities that they've never had before to share with people the gospel. Well, the second thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is not only was he sent to empower us on mission, but second, he was sent to comfort our hearts in affliction. Jesus makes this amazing promise. He gives us this amazing promise down in verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father 
And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now circle the word another in your Bible. That's a very significant word. You know, there are two words for the word another in Greek. The word alos and the word heteros. The word alos means another of the same kind. The word heteros means another of a different kind. Right here I have two apples right here. A red apple and a green apple. And they're quite different in taste, but they're both apples. Now let's say this morning if I was by some miracle of technology able to pass this apple through the camera and into your living room today or into your iPhone or into your iPad or into your computer and was able to give you all one of these apples, then I would be giving you, if you all got one of these apples, you would be getting an apple of the same kind. But let's say that, you know, I ran out of red apples and I had to give some of you a green apple then I'd be giving you an apple of a different kind. Well, here's the point. Jesus says, I'm going to give you another counselor. And he uses this word that means I'm going to give you someone who is just like me, of the same quality of me. You know, the disciples, they had spent three years with Jesus. They'd walked with him. They'd talked with him. They had uh, spent heaps of time with him. They brought their concerns to him. And Jesus says that I'm going to give you someone just like me who's going to be with you. You know, when I was younger, I would often just think, you know, wouldn't it be so much better to have lived back in Bible times? And, you know, wouldn't it be so much better to live back in Bible times and have been a disciple of Jesus? I mean, those disciples at the time of Jesus they had it going for them. I mean, they could talk to Jesus physically if they had a concern. They could talk about uh, Jesus' teaching and they could ask him questions. I mean, certainly it would be better to be, have been uh, alive at the time of Jesus and to have been one of his disciples. Well, Jesus says this amazing thing in this passage. He says, the spirit who I'm going to give to you, who is inside of you, is of more advantage to you than even my presence outside of you. Look down your Bibles in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's not going to abandon us. You know, if you're home alone this morning, or you're sitting in a hospital bed somewhere, you are not alone. Jesus has not abandoned you this morning. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and saying that they would see him again after the resurrection. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. You know, from this point on, uh, the world would no longer see Jesus. He would no longer appear to the world. He would only appear to his disciples after the resurrection. The next public appearance of Jesus will be at his second coming. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Jesus appeared to his disciples and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And because I live, you also will live. Jesus, what a promise that because Jesus was alive, we have the promise of the resurrection. Verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. 
Now, theologians call this perichoresis. It's this beautiful idea of the divine indwelling of the Trinity. You see, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God, God the Holy Spirit, they have this beautiful relationship where the Father fully indwells the Son, where the Son fully indwells the Spirit, where the Spirit fully indwells the Father, and each in such a way that none of the members of the Trinity lose their own personality. So the Father is always the Father. The Son is always the Son. The Spirit is always the Spirit. And what Jesus says here is something so powerful, is that he's going to give us the gift of the Spirit. And then the Spirit is going to come and live within us. And because the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he brings with him both the presence of God the Father and God the Son. Look down your Bibles in verse 23. Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. You know, you might be at home this morning by yourself, but you're not really alone. Because God, if you've received Jesus, God is at home in you. You have the presence of God the Father, you have the presence of God the Son through God the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And what a great comfort when you're going through affliction, when you're going through hard and difficult times. You know, in my own life, I know the times where I have experienced the presence of God the most has been my times of trial, my times of struggle, my times of difficulty. And I know that there are many people in our church fellowship who right now are going through hard stuff. Maybe you're losing your job or on the verge of losing your job. Maybe you're sick at this point and you're going through a very, very hard trial. Well, it's in those moments often when we experience the presence of God and the comfort of God in those moments, the greatest. You know, I was reading the book today, The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And I want to read a section from it to you. Francis Chan says, I recently had a dinner in Seoul, Korea with an amazing man. He was one of the, of the 23 missionaries who were held hostage by the Taliban in Afghanistan in July 2007. For those who don't recall the story, the Taliban executed two of the missionaries before a deal was reached with the government of South Korea and the missionaries were released. This man told me about the horrors of being locked up in a cell, knowing that martyrdom was a strong possibility. He also shared about the amazing time that they had on the last day. They were all in prison together. Their captives later divided them into groups of three and took them to remote areas. Each of the 23 missionaries surrendered their lives to God that night and they told him they were willing to die for his glory. There was even an argument over who would get to die first. One of them had a small Bible that the missionaries secretly ripped into 23 pieces so each could glance at Scripture when no one was watching. The Word of God and the Spirit of God got them through the 40 days of imprisonment. One of the most fascinating things this man told me, Francis Chan says, was what has happened since. This man said that now we've been 
back in Seoul for a while, several of the team members have asked him, don't you wish you were still there? He tells me that several of them experienced such a deep kind of intimacy with God in the prison cell that they haven't been able to recapture in their comfort. You know, God wants to renew us during this season. And maybe not only does he want to renew us and give us the power to preach the gospel that we may have never experienced before, but he may want to renew us so that we will experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit like we've never experienced before. Maybe you've never experienced that comfort that can come into your life when all you have left is God. And maybe during this season, that is what God is doing, is he's stripping back everything else so that all we'll have to cling to is him and him alone. So Jesus says, firstly, that he has given us or sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us for mission. And he sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us in affliction. And Jesus then says that he has sent the Holy Spirit to teach us God's truth. In verse 25, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You know, sadly, many of us, when it comes to our faith, we have a second-hand faith, not a first-hand faith, a second-hand faith. You know, as these disciples were standing there, they probably would have been thinking, Jesus, Jesus, how are we going to cope? How are we going to remember all the lessons that you've taught, them, taught us? And Jesus says to them, don't worry about that. When I send you the Holy Spirit, who I will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring these things to your remembrance. You know, Pastor Vincent said a couple of months ago something so profound. He said the best teacher in our church is not Pastor Timon, it's not Pastor Graham, it's not Pastor Jeff, it's not Les, it's the Holy Spirit. And we have access to his teaching every day. We can pick up his word. And have him speak to us every day. And sadly, what might have happened over this past season is that maybe you've become complacent and you have a secondhand faith rather than, than a live faith where you are walking day by day with God. You know, in this time of uncertainty, can I challenge you to, to, to what will anchor your day in this time of uncertainty is if you get up every day. And spend time with God and spend time in his word and ask God to speak to you. God will strengthen you for that day, no matter what that day brings. You know, uh, Pastor Vincent, uh, last week uh, on Monday, we had the community groups uh, meeting on Zoom. Uh, we had all the, uh, the community group leaders on Zoom. And he said this powerful thing. He, he said, you know, both the church in China and the church in Russia, they suffered under communist persecution. And one flourished while the other floundered. And he said, the difference between the two 
was not the fact that their pastors were all put in prison and the missionaries were kicked out because that happened both in Russia and in China. But he said the difference between the two was that in Russia, people's, the people's faith was built upon their pastors, was built upon their leaders. Whereas in China, their faith was built upon God's word and they were in disciple-making, smaller disciple-making groups. And so when the missionaries were kicked out and when their spiritual leaders were put in prison, when the missionaries came back in, they found that the church had flourished, the church had multiplied, the church had doubled. You know, maybe what God is doing in this season is he is stripping things back so that our faith will not rest on men, but it will rest upon the solid foundation of God's word again. Finally, finally, Jesus said one final thing, I think, throughout this whole passage. Not only was the Holy Spirit sent in order to empower us for mission, and not only was he sent in order to comfort us in our affliction, and not only was he sent to guide us into God's truth, but finally, the Holy Spirit was sent to help us and to set us aflame, set our hearts aflame for Jesus. All throughout this section, Jesus has said, like in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps, keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You know, obedience is a demonstration of our love for Jesus. But where does love for Jesus come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to shine a light on Jesus. You know, last year, my family and I, we went to Sydney Harbour, and we had this beautiful, beautiful hotel overlooking the Harbour Bridge. All the lights on the Harbour Bridge are amazing at night, but we didn't see one of the lights because the function of a light is not to... To, to make much of itself, but to light up something else. And the function of the lights on the Harbour Bridge are not to actually draw attention to themselves, but to focus on the beauty of the Harbour Bridge. And in the same way, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to focus on Jesus so that we will see his excellence, we will see his greatness, we will see how much it cost for him to purchase us back. And we will love him. And we will live live obedient lives to him even in the midst of difficult and distressing times you see church you know this season could either break us or it could really really shape us and make us and as i said i believe that what god is doing in this season is that he is renewing us as a church so that we will impact, be a church of impact in the future. He may whittle us back as a church, but, but maybe that's a good thing. Because then we'll be a church full of the Spirit. We will have experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Not the comfort that this world has to offer, but the comfort of God the Holy Spirit. We'll be a church that's walking daily with Him in His Word. We'll be a church that's in love. It's in love with Jesus, it's Savior. It breaks my heart, church, that I can't be with you this morning.
really does. But God is with you. God is with you. You are not alone. God is right there with you. That's the promise of Jesus in this passage. Well, let me pray for you this morning. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray through the foolishness and weakness of this message, I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. I pray that you would set us on fire for Jesus, on fire for him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our treasure. He is our joy. Oh, Lord God, renew us and revive us so that we will learn the lessons of this season and we will emerge different and changed and refined as your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.